We're looking at um, Jesus' parables. A parable is a story with a twist, a twist that reveals something about God, a twist that is something su somewhat surprising. And this morning we're going to look at the parable of the tenants. Before we look at it, we got to understand kind of what just happened. The day before Jesus will give this parable, he entered into Jerusalem and he didn't do, he didn't do so very quietly. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The, um, the temple in Jerusalem is a series of courtyards within courtyards. So it starts with a, the biggest courtyard, and then there's subsequent courtyards that are more and more restrictive. Everyone can come into the courtyard of the Gentiles. Then you go into a gate to an innermost courtyard, and only Jews can go in there. And then there's a courtyard for women, and then men can go further in, and priests can go further in. So each courtyard is more and more restrictive. The courtyard of the Gentiles is where everyone can go. And that is where the Jewish individuals would put tables that allowed them to purchase the things that they will bring into the innermost courtyard. But this courtyard is for Gentiles, and it was a place for anyone to gather. But what had happened over the years, more and more tables for those who would be going inside, who didn't want to carry these things that they were buying from outside the temple inside. So what they did, they took up and took space in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And that had been going on for a long time. Jesus then um, made room for those who were marginalized. In fact, it says in John that if you were then not a um, one going into the inner courtyard, you kind of were squeezed out until Jesus came and literally threw tables over. And what it says is that those who were marginalized, those Gentiles who couldn't go in further, they came to Jesus in the courtyard of the Gentiles because he made, he made room for them. Um, shortly after Jesus did this, he probably then does this, goes outside the city to Mary and Martha's house, they lived a couple miles away, and he spent the night there, and maybe the following day, or it wasn't too long afterwards, he went back into the temple area that he just threw into chaos. And then, this is now we're at where we are for today's passage. Um, on says, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and again, because the last time he'd been there, he'd created quite a stir. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And these things mean the things he did the day before. Who in the world gave you the right to topple over things and to remove things that have been here for a long time? Uh, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus answered, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. 
John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. So what Jesus did, um, he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you a deal. You answer a question, I'll answer your question. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders confront him. They are in Israel at the time. There's a group of individuals called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, they are the ones that rule over the country. Now, they're ultimately responsible to Rome because they are under the authority of the Roman Empire. But they have um, some freedom, and they are the ruling body. You might see them as the combination of our government. You know, there's the House of Representatives and the Senators and the, there's the judicial branch. So these branches form the leadership of our government. In Israel, that's what the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the, um, the elders, they were the leadership of Israel. Uh, they had authority over all religious matters and within the boundary set by the Romans over political issues as well. They ask him, what gave you the right to do what you did yesterday? And then Jesus says, okay, make your deal. You answer my question, I'll answer yours. Uh, and with respect to the question, wasn't easy for them to answer. They discussed it among themselves and say, mm, yeah. if we say from heaven, he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say for men, now well, they feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So the answer, Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> uh, Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus puts them between a rock and a hard place. If they acknowledge that John's ministry was authorized by God, and people from different strata of Israel, they went to be baptized by John. They revered him as a prophet. Uh, if they acknowledged that John's ministry was authorized by God, then Jesus could reply, why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you go to be baptized by him? On the other hand, to say that John's ministry was from God, that, but that his ministry had a purely human origin, would infuriate the crowd, for they regarded John the Baptist as a prophet. So if they said he was nothing, then they the people would rebel because they really held John in high esteem. When they don't answer, then Jesus tells a story, a parable, a story with a twist. Um, he then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. The parable tells of a man who builds a vineyard and leases it out to tenants, much like a farmer would do who has farmland and leases it to people. So it's his land, but he leases it to somebody, they farm it, and then they share the proceeds of the, the harvest when it comes in, that kind of that kind of deal. And um, he then um, departs to another country, entering into this agreement. Okay, they understand. They're farming the land. He's going to go to another country. And here's where things turn ugly. Uh, it says, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head 
and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. At the right time, the servant, the landlord sends a servant to receive his rental fee. Talk to somebody, and one figure that I've heard that, that if you lease out an acre of land, it's about $300. And so this guy then leases, and he sends the servant to collect the money. He wouldn't get his, 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 what he was expecting in crops. He wouldn't leave with, with a bunch of grapes, but with the cash equivalent that the grapes are, are worth. And that's what happens one by one. These servants that he sends are mistreated and sent away empty handed. The beatings seem to get worse. Beats the first one, beats the second guy on the head and shames him, kills one. The beatings become more vicious and eventually fatal. The land owner then sends his son, says he has one, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. One of the twists in this story is what kind of landowner would keep on sending people when they keep getting killed and finally sending a son. And it, it's, the parables, they, they make a point and they have a twist. The fact is, no really prudent landowner would do that. But as we'll see, that's what God did. He kept on sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and finally sent his son. Um, they don't need a program to know what Jesus is saying. Again, the servants are the prophets. Isaiah, we don't know how Isaiah died. Legend has it is that he was sawn in two. Jeremiah, John the Baptist was beheaded, servant after servant after servant, and the son, well, it's not difficult for us to understand. We don't need a program to understand the players. Jesus is the son. Um, let me ask a question. What then will the owner of the vineyard do when they kill the son? What will the owner of the vineyard do? Pretty straightforward. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. As a result of the tenant's behavior, so that God will come in judgment. He waits and waits and waits and waits. But then when it comes time to come in judgment, he comes and he will do two things. Judgment involves two things. Destruction of the tenants and the transfer of the vineyard to others. And this twist here, one of the twists is, oh, come on. They kill your servants, and then you think they're going to respect your son. It, apparently, what they, what they thought was that, well, if he's sending the son, then the landowner must have died. Must have died. That's why he's sending the kid. And the way it worked at that time, if there's no heir, and you are 
you have the property, then the property and the inheritance goes to you. So they apparently think the landowner's dead in the parable, and that's why they kill the kid. And and they kill the kid, but the landowner wasn't. And, and there is... Um, here's where we find another twist, though. It says, haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What you find biblically is that there's accountability for those who do what they do, but the fact is um, the rejection of the stone was ultimately God's doing. And nothing takes God by surprise. You tend to think, see things in black and white, like checkers. God's not playing checkers. He plays chess. Moves that lead to other moves, that lead to other moves. And when we stand back and look at what God does, what we will do, even over things like the death of his son, and, and as we'll see, shepherds who mistreat the flock when everything is said and done, and we'll see what God has accomplished, will say, it's marvelous. That's what God does. He does things in such a way you don't always see the end game, but when the end game presents itself, what we're going to do, when we're with him, we're going to look and survey what he did over history, and we're going to shake our head, and I'm going to elbow you when we're up there and say, Geez, you know, remember we talked about this, how about the end game, what God does, and look what he did, and he did this, and he did that, and, and I thought he did, remember you thought he did that, but he really did this, and now we're seeing where all this stuff, you know, it seems like things are, it does seem like things are spiraling out of control don't they? Russia and Ukraine spiraling out of control. What will, what will China do? And it seems like everything is ungoverned. There's reasons to be concerned, but God isn't. He's in control. And things happen, but he accomplishes purposes. That's the, that's the thing about the this thing. It's, it's the stone the builders rejected became the capstone. Well, the Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. God is in control. He's sovereign. Um, the prophets predicted that actually that God would send a good shepherd who would remove the flock from the abuse of bad shepherds. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord... Uh, no, that's not the right one. No, let's do this first. Let's <laughs> look for a way to arrest him. Um, and because he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so he left and, and went away. Um, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And when we get now to... Um, this was predicted. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. What we find here is that God holds leaders accountable. 
When it talks about shepherds in the context, it's talking about the governors, the leaders of specifically Israel in Ezekiel. And what God is saying is that when God puts leaders in place, they are in place to serve the people. They are tasked to shepherd the people, to care for the people, to govern them righteously. And um, he holds leaders accountable. We don't know why people do what they do presently. Why is Russia doing what it is doing? Why is it? There is going to be accountability. I don't know what the form that the form that accountability will take, but when God puts somebody in charge, he holds them accountable for what they do. Those who are heads of state will be held accountable. God looks. Um, there is a verse in Micah. That's what it says. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. It's describing a culture that's morally bankrupt. That they're skilled in doing evil. It's really, this is not a good place. It's describing Israel at the time. But now look at where the... The finger points, he points to the people, and the people are not what they should be, but then he doesn't stop there. He goes, the rulers, the ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. And what it describes is that the people are non-responsive to God. But that's not where God points the finger. He doesn't point the finger at the sheep. He points the finger at the shepherds, those tasked to care for the sheep, to Watch over the sheep. That's where God points his finger. Judges demand, and again, at this time in Israel, judges demand bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They think that they can do whatever they want to do, and nobody's going to hold them accountable. God says the day of the watchman has come. God watches. He does watch. He has watched. He is watching. He will watch. God cares about people. And that's why it's predicted that he is going to, well, look what it says, for this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God has a shepherd's heart. That's why he sent his son to be a good shepherd. Good shepherd comes and cares for the sheep. Um, why did Jesus challenge the religious leaders so strongly? He basically goes in and he overturns everything that they do to 
govern the people. I mean, the tables, and he really makes them. And then he goes right to them, tells his parable right to their face, and they know that he's speaking against them. Why did Jesus, you know, when you ever find Jesus angry in the Bible, is he angry with people in general or leaders in particular? If Jesus had an issue, it usually was with the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the chief priests, because they were the leaders. That's who God looks at. Not so much the people, because the people, for good or for bad, benefit from a good shepherd and suffer when there's a bad shepherd. And that's uh, what we find. Uh, Jesus drives a wedge between the leaders and the people. And that's what happened in this thing, because the people like Jesus. And Jesus is driving a wedge between the leaders and the people. And, and the leaders can't just take care of Jesus because the people love Jesus. And if the leaders got rid of them, then they'd have the people to, to they would be in trouble with the people. Um, Jesus came to set things right. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, Jesus had compassion on people. When he saw the people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd, you know what they do? They don't make really good decisions. Sheep without a shepherd, they'll wander and they'll stray from the path. They'll go into places that they shouldn't go. There's green pasture here and then there's brown pasture here and they'll just trot back off into the brown pasture. And we're sheep. We don't make really good decisions. Sometimes we make lousy decisions. And you know what God's solution for that is? People who make lousy decisions? You need a good shepherd. So you need. There's nothing that you deal with that having a good shepherd wouldn't resolve. Are you struggling? Are you sad? Do you feel rebellious? The answer to all those things is, need a good shepherd, apparently. Um, would you agree? We talk about a good shepherd being gentle. If a gentle shepherd is caring for sheep and a wolf comes, would it be gentle of the shepherd to just allow the wolf to do what it wanted? <laughs> no, it's not. A gentle shepherd, you know what a gentle shepherd is like? It's like a... Um, like a family pet, like a dog, let's say. And if you have a dog, you want the dog to be appropriately um, gentle with family. But what if a intruder comes? Do you want the dog to wag its tail? <laughs> I had a dog like that once. We had our house was 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 broken into once when we weren't there. Apparently, what they did, they came in. Uh, our dog was there. I forget what our dog's name was at the time. Anyway, so all they did to do it to get rid of our dog was they took a package of hot dogs and just launched it downstairs and then closed the door into the basement. And that dog was just, so our dog went, <laughs> you know, just, that's not gentle. That's not the kind of, the gentlest we're looking at, a gentle shepherd is one who will be appropriately harsh with um, 
those who hurt and harm the sheep. Um, Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy. He is the good shepherd who cares for the sheep. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He gives an example here. Let's say this represents you. This is really a slide advancer, but let's just say it reflects you. Well, Jesus says, you're in his hand. And he says, uh, you'll never perish. No one can snatch you out of his hand. Would you agree that if you're in Jesus' hand, you're in a pretty good place? I mean, who's going to pry Jesus' fingers open and yank you away from him? If he's your shepherd, if he's your guide, who's going to yank you out of it? And he doesn't even stop there. He says, the Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So now this is what you got. You got God the Son and God the Father. They are holding on to you. Can you even get out of this grip? I remember when I, um, I think I've told you before, when Gavin was young um, and we'd cross the street, I wouldn't allow him to hold my hand in his, right? So I wouldn't allow him to hold my hand in his hand because if we were walking across the street and he got frightened by something, what would happen? He might let go. And if he let go, he would make it across the street. So when we were young, what I would do, I would take his hand in mine because if he got afraid and hesitated, I'm strong enough, he's going to make it across the street if his hand is in mine because I'm going to make sure he gets across the street. And if he runs ahead, I'll pull him back. If he drags behind, I'll pull him ahead. And that's the picture. You don't have God's hands in yours. God has his, your hand in his. You are in the hands of the Son and the hands of the Father. You know what that means? That means he's going to guide you through this life, and you know what we're going to end up together? With him. You say, but what if... That's what he wants us to believe. The way a shepherd cultivates responsiveness is a shepherd causes the sheep to associate his voice with safety. That's the way a good shepherd functions. So that when you hear the voice of the shepherd, there is responsiveness inside and you want to go. That's how a shepherd in Israel, I've told you the story about, I've told you a couple of times, but I like, I love the image. There's a um, this guy who's taking a bunch of church people over to the Holy Land. And this guy goes on and on and on about, oh, you know, in, in Israel, the shepherds go in front of the sheep. And the sheep follow the shepherd. <laughs> so, 
And so he's really, and because it really is a good picture, isn't it? You know, that, that, that sheep aren't being goaded. They're being led. They're not being driven. They're being drawn. So he gives the image that, that the shepherd is walking. And get this, the sheep trust the shepherd enough that they follow after him. That's the picture. So this guy's going on and on. So they get to Israel, and guess what happens? There's some sheep, and lo and behold, there's no shepherd in front of them. <laughs> and the shepherd is behind them, and he's driving the sheep. And so this guy has egg all over his face, and, and this guy scratches his head, and he says, I was told that, you know, and then he says, hey, wait a minute. And then he talks to this guy in the back, and he goes, I was told that in Israel, shepherds walked in front of sheep. And the guy said, I'm not the shepherd, I'm the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. Huh? Um, it does make sense. Somebody who doesn't have the sheep's best interest drive them from behind, goading them. God does not goad you. He guides you. He wants your responsiveness to be from the heart. That's why he develops voice recognition. And what a ship shepherd does, he worked with the sheep over a long period of time so that the shepherd's voice is associated with safety. Say you're in a place and there's all kinds of chaos. The way it worked, the shepherd would say a word. And the way it worked, you would so equate that word with safety that it would draw you. That's how... That's how being a shepherd worked. A couple things then as we think of, really in closing, I think this is true. I think this is true. Do you know you can, how you can tell a bad shepherd? A bad shepherd will talk about bad sheep. Your fault. In the Bible, what we have, you know what a good shepherd, a good shepherd understands that that it's really not the sheep's fault. A good shepherd will blame a bad shepherd if the sheep are misbehaving. Um, the Lord is your shepherd. You won't want. Guide you into green pastures, lead you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul. Guides you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear any evil because the Lord is with you. His rod and staff, they comfort you. Puts a dinner before you in the presence of your enemies. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life. And you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know why? Because you have a good shepherd. Yes.
Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we see that it's, you have a clear sense of responsibility. You understand the sheep need to be cared for. You're a shepherd. That's the way you look at things. You see misbehaving sheep. You see, where's the shepherd? And you want to be, you want us to know that we have a good shepherd to guide us. Um, I do ask that, and trust that you, you're going to, everything's going to be sorted out. We look around and we see things that we object to. Countries moving in and fighting with their own people. Anyways, all kinds of things happen. Thanks that you are in charge and at some point you will draw all things to a close and, and we'll be in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.